Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Influencer Podcast. So excited about today's episode because we have Ben Nepton on the podcast today. And what I love about Ben, I actually got to meet him in person a couple of months ago. He was speaking at an event that I was at. And his story of how he was able to do things like sit down with Oprah, play basketball with President Obama, all of this stuff that he and his friends had on a bucket list is not only inspiring, but it's just outlandishly incredible. I knew that I had to have been on the podcast when I heard him speak. And what we talk about is really how you can achieve literally anything by creating a bucket list, how he went from being depressed to literally playing basketball with President Obama by never giving up how writing some of the most outrageous bucket list items actually allowed him to accomplish everything that he's wanted to thus far, and how you can create your own bucket list of sorts. Now, if you ever saw the show on MTV called The Buried Life, you might have heard about Ben and his friends. They are the ones that bought a rickety old RV and literally crisscrossed around North America, checking things off of this really unthinkable bucket list. So I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Ben and his friends have literally inspired millions to thrive personally and professionally. He also gives his goal setting to anything that you want to achieve, which I love his goal setting breakdown. I think it's really, really helpful. And he also goes through a mindset shift kind of process that you can do too. So here we go. Check it out. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist, brand building expert, speaker, and New York Times bestselling publicist. This is where I take you behind the scenes with today's top influencers, industry insiders, and entrepreneurs as they share step-by-step strategies to help you turn your online dreams into a purposeful and profitable business. Hi, Ben. It's awesome to have you with us today. Hey, Julie. How you doing? I'm doing good and I'm excited that you're here. I had the good fortune of being able to hear you speak in person in Nashville earlier this year and was just so drawn not only to your charisma and how you are as a speaker on stage, that could be like a completely separate conversation (laughs) of how great you are um, on stage um, and the dynamics of that, but most importantly, your story. Um, It is truly one of a kind and one that is not only inspiring, but really gives anyone out there who's ever wanted to do anything, zero excuses to not make that happen. Um, I would love just to kind of start from that, that beginning mm-hmm. of, you know, how you ended up doing things that some would say are completely unthinkable and unachievable, like playing basketball with President Obama and having a beer with Prince Harry and really taking a bucket list and just putting the most outrageous, radical, outlandish things on it and achieving them one by one. <laughs> yeah. And it is, it is kind of odd that the starting point is it's a place where I, you know, I had trouble just getting out of bed every morning. So it was, I wasn't even thinking about audacious goals. I was just thinking about how to carry on like a normal person. And so it was, it was back in Victoria, BC, where, you know, I grew up, which is just by Vancouver, um, on the West coast of Canada. 
And I, when I was in my, you know, first year of university at school, I, I was a very sort of high achiever. I had an academic scholarship. I was high level athletics. So I was playing on the national rugby team for the U19 team. And I put so much pressure on myself that I totally crashed. And I'd never experienced anything like this before in my life. You know, I had never been faced with any type of emotional or mental crisis. And so this felt like it just came completely out of the blue. And all of a sudden, my anxiety stopped me from um, being able to, to sleep throughout the night. And my anxiety stopped me from going to school, my university, right, where I had my scholarship. So I dropped out of school. I couldn't go to rugby practice, which I'd worked, you know, so hard to make this team. And all of a sudden, I was paralyzed by this anxiety and this, um, ultimately, this depression. And, and I wasn't able to, to go to, to rugby practice. And so I got dropped from the rugby team. So, you know, I had all of these things going for me. I was outgoing, you know, I had a great circle of friends. I was, I had the scholarship to university in my hometown. I had made the national rugby team and this was in sort of the epicenter of rugby Canada on the West coast. It's kind of like football in the South is akin to rugby on the West coast of Canada. So I had made this big team and now I was a shut in, in my parents' house, unable to not just, you know, not only could I not go to school, or go to rugby practice, I couldn't leave the house. I was totally crippled by this depression that had hit me out of nowhere. And uh, I was in a state where my parents would just encourage me to go for a 15-minute walk every day. And that was really the only rule that I had to get outside the house so I didn't stay in all day. And I would agree to go for my walk. And a lot of times, you know, I would just, I would just walk down the front steps. And when I heard them shut the door behind me, I'd go hide in our driveway for 15 minutes and come back. And so I wouldn't actually go for a walk, but I'd tell my parents that I went for a walk. And this was a, a very uh, terrifying time for me because I didn't understand why I was feeling like this. I, I didn't, the scariest part was not knowing how dark it could go, how bad this would get. And so I remember laying awake at night in the middle of the night and just be terrified of this darkness, you know, that how, how bad could this get? Because it felt like it was already uh, almost something that I couldn't deal with and, and wrap my head around. And I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so this, these feelings lasted for many months, you know, I, I, I was, uh, and, and I dropped out of school. And so it wasn't until the semester had finished and now it was the summertime that a few friends came over and my friends would periodically pop by to say hi and hang out. And I would just feel guilty that they were having to hang out with me because I was just, I felt like I was, you know, someone that no one would want to hang out with. But what happened was my friends came by together one day and they said, Ben, we're going to go work in a new town for the summer. And, uh, it's, 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 it's a, you know, it was like a, a seven hour drive or something from Victoria. They said, we're going to go work in a new, new town. We want you to come. And of course, I didn't feel like going. I didn't feel like doing anything, but they really sort of rallied me and, and they got me to come with them. And only then did I slowly start to come out of these feelings. Right? I got out of this environment that I was stuck and I was forced to do things on my own. I was forced to get a job. So I started feeling some confidence and some self-worth because I was actually achieving something. You know, I was doing, being productive. I was making money. You know, so I started to feel a bit of self-confidence. I also started talking about my true feelings for the first time to my friends. 
and I realized that I was not alone in my feelings, that my friends had gone through some of these same feelings before. So that made a huge impact for me because I thought I was just totally crazy and messed up. And all of a sudden I realized, holy shit, like actually my friends have been through some of this stuff and they felt like this and, or, or they've been through some sort of emotional struggle. And so that normalized it for me and it, it made me feel a little bit better, ironically, that I wasn't alone. And I, I also started meeting people and being introduced to people that were my age that were inspiring. So kids that had started their own businesses or they had traveled you know, around the world. And I, I never really been exposed to these types of people before. And I thought, man, I can't believe these, these people my age have done all this cool stuff. Like, I, I wonder what I could do. You know, and there's one kid specifically that was from my high school that ended up starting a clothing line out of high school. And I was so enamored by this, that this friend of mine that I kind of knew had started his own clothing line, didn't have any money. You know, he took out a loan. He just started this clothing line with no experience. And it was really cool. And I was so excited by this that, you know, as I said, these, this, this, this sort of like these people that inspired me, um, made me think about what I could do. And so I thought, wow, I want to make a movie. And so I, I called up this kid that I knew from the neighborhood and I didn't really know him too well. And sort of now that I've come back from the summer away, I was starting to feel back to myself. And, and by the way, it, there are many things that contributed to my recovery and we can talk about those things, you know, um, and dig into them because it, it, it wasn't as turnkey as me just going away, being depressed, coming back feeling not depressed, right? It's, there's many things over time as I learned about what I needed to be healthy, but let's, for the sake of the story, which is a long story, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll jump into this next chapter. Um, and you can jump in at any time as well. Cause as you know, this is kind of a long story. Yeah. I would so, love to touch on that, but yeah, I would love to keep this going. Cause it's, I, it's amazing. Oh, cool. So, so I get back to Victoria, BC and I've, I've kind of made this decision now in my head. I'm like, I'm going to try and only surround myself with people that inspire me. Uh, just like these new people that I met in this new town. And so uh, this this kid from the neighborhood, Johnny, was a filmmaker. And I was like, I always want to make a movie. I'm going to call up Johnny. And I really cold called him. I didn't know him very well. And he liked the idea. And he said, you know, I was talking to my other friend Dave about this. And so we got his friend Dave from, from the neighborhood as well. And I got Johnny's older brother, Duncan. And the four of us got together and started talking about making a movie. By the way, no idea what this movie was going to be about, right? We just had this idea that we were going to do a summer movie and, and make a documentary or something, but didn't know what it was going to be about. And um, as we're trying to figure out what this, this movie's about, um, Johnny happened to be at McGill University in Montreal. And he's a, he's a freshman and he's sitting in English class. And his English professor assigns him a 150-year-old poem, a poem that was written in 1852. And the name of the poem is called The Buried Life. And it's written by an old, uh, you know, this this English poet who was, I think, 52 at the time. But this poem struck Johnny in a certain way, and he brought it back to us. He says, guys, read this poem. This dude is talking about the same thing that we've been trying to articulate uh, through our conversations, trying to figure out what this movie's about. Um, he's articulating the same feeling we're feeling right now, which is that we have all these things that we want to do, but we haven't done them because they're buried. And we have these moments when we feel inspired but ultimately that gets buried by the day to day. And we had been talking about all these things that we had wanted to do, but we were asking ourselves, well, why haven't we done any of these things? So this poem really struck with us. I mean, it, it hit home. So we thought, okay, cool. Let's 
take this name, The Buried Life, and that's uh, what we'll call our movie. But we didn't know what the movie was going to be about still. So we thought, okay, well, we know that this is about The Buried Life, and how do we then, how do we unbury these dreams that we've been talking about? And for us, we decided to ask this question, what do you want to do before you die? Because for us, the thought of death was the only thing that shook us enough into the present moment to actually realize what was truly important in our lives. So it was the, it was the ultimate gut check. It put things in perspective. So it's ironic that thinking about your death actually makes you think about your life because you realize that you have a limited amount of time. And so we thought, okay, if we're going to die one day, what do we want to do? And then the, the answer to that question became the bucket list. So this bucket list grew out of this question, what do you want to do before you die? And this bucket list kind of turned out to be the most epic bucket list we could ever think of. It was sort of, we pretended we had $10 million in our bank when we wrote the list. We pretended that we could do anything. Those are the two rules. And so this list was so audacious, it was almost laughable. It was like, it was like write a number one New York Times bestseller when one of the guys had failed English 11. It was, you know, make a TV show, considering we never had any experience in production. You know, play basketball with President Obama. We're Canadian. You know, uh, sit with Oprah. Like, why would we ever ha have any business sitting with Oprah? So we wrote down all these list items, and we said, you know what, it's fine. We're just, we're never going to do any of these things, but we're going to just try, and it'll be fun. And then we thought, well, how about every time we cross something off our list, let's help a stranger we meet cross something off their bucket list. Because... All these list items that we have on our list, we're going to need the help of other people to accomplish them. So let's pay that forward and let's help other people do things on their list. And we'll go on a road trip and anyone that we come into contact with, we'll ask them this question, what do you want to do before you die? This is a bit of a startling question to ask a stranger, but <laughs> that's what we did. Um, and then if we could help them, then we would. And we'd also go after our list. So that was the mission. We were going to take a two-week road trip, go after our list, and then help other people. This is 2006. Um, and what we did was we just, throughout the, the next summer, we worked extra jobs. We threw parties as fundraisers. We cold-called companies, pretending we had a production company to raise money. We did whatever we could so we could save up enough money to take the two weeks off work to go, before we went back to school to go after our list and help other people. And that was sort of the beginning. My friends, as creators, we work so hard creating our content, so we don't want to leave it up to things like an algorithm to determine how successful our online brands and businesses can be. And that is why I love Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs like myself build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. And I know they can help you too. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, your passions, your experiences into enriching offers like online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, communities, personalized coaching, and so much more. What I love about Kajabi is that not only does it make it super easy to use, but they don't take a cut of your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. You don't need a huge audience to make a sustainable income online. I talk about that all the time here on the podcast. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures without having hundreds of thousands of followers, and you can too. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business. 
Go to kajabi.com slash influencer. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash influencer. Go to kajabi.com slash influencer and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business business for sponsoring the show. And what did that, did that journey or just even, I don't even know if courage is the word, but to even just sit down and be like, okay, this is going to be our list. Was it just more that you were in the mindset of playfulness and fun and that you were with your friends? Like, did you even at the time conceptually think that you guys would make any of this happen? A hundred percent not. 100% it was just going to be a two-week road trip to have fun, to be creative, um, and to make something that meant something to us, which would be this movie that we would perhaps show to our friends or maybe we'd get it into a small film festival. Um, But I think you hit the nail on the head with with playfulness. And, And I think you can actually, you can get to the derivative of that, which was, this youthful spirit, which I think is so important to try and hang on to as you grow and as you age, which is very difficult. But the only reason we did this in the beginning is because we were young, dumb, and broke, right? That, and there's so much power in being young, dumb, and broke because one, you're young, so you have the energy, you have that youthful, youthful spirit. Two, you're dumb. And by that, I mean, you don't know any better. You don't know how hard it's going to be. You don't, you're not wise enough to listen to other people that are saying, listen, guys, this may not be such a good idea. Maybe you should focus on going to school and reaching for a career that makes sense, you know, following in your dad's footsteps, you know, something that is, uh, has a higher percentage or likelihood of landing you in a, in a place where you're you're going to succeed, right? So you're, so you're dumb. So you don't know that. So you don't listen to other people, which is so important. Um, and you're, and you're broke. You have nothing to lose, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have, not only do you not have any money that to lose, um, but you also, you don't have those responsibilities that you gain as you grow older, which, um, a lot of times hold you back or they act as an excuse to hold you back. Mm. Right. So, 
that Young, Dung, Dumb and Broke is actually a Khalid song. It was one of my favorite songs called Young, Dumb and Broke. Um, is you, you could look at that as, as being a liability, but I believe that they are strengths. So it, because you, you, you're able to have that energy, you're not listening to what other people tell you you can and can't do, and you're being a little bit reckless. And I think it's important to have that sort of reckless abandonment when you're going after your dreams because most people play the reserve game and uh, they don't go after them and they don't take that first step. And I'm not saying bet the farm, mortgage your house. You know, I understand, you know, when you have families, you can't just go and do the things that you want to do. You have people you have to take care of. But if you're just thinking about looking at the real risks, and I think that some people, they get caught up in risks that aren't actually real risks. Real risks is, can you pay your mortgage? Can you keep your family safe? Can you put food on the table? Can you, you know, can you have shelter for your, for your loved ones? That's real risk. The risk of what other people think is not really a real risk. Uh, the risk of failure, as long as you were able to keep those basic necessities met, is, is more also a, a made-up uh, risk. So, you know, I think that when we start looking at these, these, these risks, um, it's important to delineate what is a fact, what is a real fear and a real risk, and what is more of something that is made up in, in our head. I love that you mentioned that the real risks versus the false risks and the risks that we may make up. I don't, mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just to make it harder on ourselves to fall into the resistance of not having to do the work, the excuses, the perfectionism, or maybe it's a mix of all of it. Um, but with that, so what, what were the next steps? So now we have everything you know, as, as much, I'll say together with air quotes, we had everything together, right, for this road trip. And by, by that, the reason I put it in the air quotes is because we borrowed this RV, which is a 1977 Dodge Coachman RV that we pulled out of a friend's, basically their swamp. Um, and we took it to a mechanic and asked, is this okay to drive? Is it safe to drive? Can we, will it make it back? And he said, well, you can drive this, but it won't make it back. <laughs> and so that meant, that we would have to tow it back because it wasn't ours if it broke down, you know, or have to pay for the repair, which we didn't have the money to do that. So we almost didn't go on this trip. I remember sitting on the curb with the other guys the night before we were supposed to leave and we got this information from a mechanic. And I was like, guys, you know, I was more of a, am a more of a logical thinker. And I was like, guys, I just don't know if this is worth the risk. Like, what are we going to do if this breaks down? And, and, and Dave, um, one of the other guys says, you know, we've, we've come this far, we have to do this. And so, um, you know, one of the, one of the perks of working with other people that, uh, that you care about or that inspire you, you know, is they pick you up when you feel down or they, they inch you forward when you feel like you can't move forward. And then that's really what ultimately was a key to our success in the, in the longevity of our, of our success was the four of us worked really well together. And when, when any of us didn't feel like we could do something, the other person it would be the spark to ignite, you know, that person to, to ultimately move forward. Um, and so, and so we hit the road. And so this, you know, it was a, again, just, we were hitting the road for two weeks in British Columbia to go after our list and help other people. And as soon as we hit the road, something interesting happened. This is something that we didn't expect, but suddenly people were starting to talk about 
us. And in and and there was there was starting to be some some articles coming out in newspapers of like four guys going after their dream list and helping other people. And all of a sudden it and was did you like pitch these news articles or was it just word of mouth? So it it was a bit of both. First, the first item that we crossed off was number 43, be a knight in shining armor. And so I was able to get a full suit of armor. Uh, and we we I got into this full knight's armor and I went downtown Victoria to film the first list item and a photographer um, took a photo and that made the front page of our local newspaper. And that sort of spawned more uh, news articles. But also, in, in, as we traveled from town to town in our RV, anytime we got to a new town, we'd go straight to the news station and we just park our RV out front. And as people would walk to go to work, we just walk with them and say, hey, we're going after, excuse me, 100 dreams we're looking, you know, we're trying to open the six o'clock news because that was one of the list items was open the six o'clock news. <laughs> and so uh, finally, we ended up opening the six o'clock news. But if they wouldn't let us open the six o'clock news, they would uh, usually do a story on us or it would be on the radio. So we would we would just uh, drive our RV, which we had sort of like, you know, we had our buried life, one film, four guys, 100 things to do before you die on the side of the RV. And it was just the look of the whole thing was just a bit outrageous. So it's, it, we were fueling it by going to all these news stations. And so now all of a sudden people were starting to send us emails through our website that we had built. And we had our list of a hundred things on our website. And so people would go to our website and they say, Hey, you know, I saw God get up in a hot air balloon on your list. Well, my friend works for Remax. I think she can get you on a hot air balloon. Or I saw number nine, ride a bull. You know, my uncle is in Boise on a bull ranch. He can get you on a bull. Or I saw number 42, make a toast to a stranger's wedding. I'm the best man. I, I can get you in, right? So like, I think we got invited to 12 weddings in that two weeks <laughs> to make a toast. And then <laughs> on the other side of the, the coin was people sending us their dreams, asking for help. You know, saying, I've always dreamed of singing a duet with Celine Dion. Can you help me? Or I've always dreamed of playing Augusta. Or, you know, I've always dreamed of riding a horse through a drive through Like, all these crazy dreams. And we were kind of like, whoa, what's going on? This is crazy. And so how did that experience of just having this, you know, grassroots local at the time support and feedback how did that initiate or give you kind of the momentum and the metaphorical gas that you needed to when this when this first stage was done this first summer to be like hey let's expand this out yeah so we you know as we we miraculously made made it back to victoria bc like our rv didn't break down we did lose five or six tires but we were able to replace all those on the road and so we we had we had been able to at that point um, and when we got home we we checked our email inbox that we'd created through our website and we were really be able to, were able to see the breadth of the response and so we were we were also totally taken aback that all these people that were emailing us were were also saying hey you know thank you guys for inspiring me to write my bucket list or thank you guys for inspiring me to go after this thing that I've always wanted to do. And that was such a shock because we didn't really think anyone would even 
yeah, care about this. You know, we, we, we thought like us going after our list was actually a bit selfish, right? It was a bit self-serving to have a bucket list. You know, we, we'll go out and we'll, we'll help other people accomplish their list. Um, and we'll do our list on the side, but that's not going to be the focus. Um, and, and all of a sudden these people were inspired to go after their list because we were acting on ours. Mm. And that was the Can beginning. Can talk about that a little bit more? How yes. inspiration yeah. begets inspiration? Yeah. And this is something that I don't think I realized until uh, later on as I kind of reflected on this whole journey, because the, the real impact uh, that we had, it was really around, it was this, and this is what I like to call the ripple effect. And that's like, when you do what you love, you actually inspire other people to do what they love. And this was something that we didn't understand when we started this, but now it's very clear that you know, by us going after our list and going after our dreams, it gave other people permission to go after theirs. It gave other people inspiration to go after theirs because we are no different than, than anyone else. Uh, and all we did was we just started to take the first couple of steps towards these audacious goals. And over time, they ended up happening. And anyone has the ability to do that. So this ripple effect is is really important because it's not about the ripple effect that we created um, or it's, it's, and it's not even really about the ripple effect of the people that were inspired by us, um, what they've done. Because if you look at the people that were, have been inspired by buried life, they've actually gone on to do s- s- incredible things. You know, some, some of them have created movements and followings that are far greater than what we have, right? So you sort of look at the scope of impact. It looks like a funnel, right? Out there in the world, all these people that um, are inspiring other people, you, you draw back to maybe their source of inspiration was buried life. But that's not what this is about. What this is about is, is really, this is about the friend of ours in high school that started that clothing line. Because if he wouldn't have started that clothing line, we wouldn't have started buried life. And if we wouldn't have started buried life, then all these other folks wouldn't have been inspired to do the thing that they mm-hmm. want to do. Right. But keep in mind, this clothing line, it, was, it lasted for two years. You know, in, in a lot of minds, it wasn't successful. It, you know, it's not around anymore. But the act of him going after his dream changed the world. Just by him going after it and doing it, even if it wasn't successful, it triggered us to think about what was possible. And we went after our list, which in chain was a bit of a domino effect for other people to do the same. So, you know, that's the power of the ripple effect. And that's proof that one person can create an incredible impact. Mm. And we, we all have the potential to create that impact in other people's lives. And you don't have to be an influencer to create that impact because we all have this sphere of influence around us that, of people that we um, actually impact. And so, and it could be people that you don't know, right? Everything, every action has a reaction. So a smile to a stranger creates a ripple effect. That creates an impact, a compliment. Um, you know, the, anything you do can create this positive ripple effect. And you may not know what the impact is. You probably won't but it's a very real tangible impact. That's why they say kindness is contagious. Right. That's the ripple effect right. because it creates this um, real tangible impact 
And I think that we can all think about people in our lives that have created that ripple effect for us, whether it be a teacher or a friend or a parent, maybe it's someone we didn't know that we looked up to, an athlete, um, some motivational figure who was that trigger for us that, that pushed us or encouraged us to make one small change that in that moment felt like maybe just a small shift, a one degree shift in our life. But when you zoom out and you look back over 10, 15 years to that original stimulus point, you think, holy crap, that actually changed my entire direction. Uh, And that's a really powerful thing to think about because we're all capable of creating that impact in other people's lives. What was the next phase of that ripple effect? What was the next ripple effect for you all that allowed you to keep going and keep building this list and keep accomplishing more things? So after that summer, we decided to keep going. We thought, you know what? Wow, this was supposed to be a two-week road trip, but um, maybe we should keep doing this documentary and filming uh, this uh, mission to go after this list. So we went back to school and we dedicated the next eight months to raising money, saving more money. We worked extra jobs, you know, so that we could um, continue to go after our list the next summer. And cut to eight months later, we, um, we bought an old 1969 purple transit bus so that we could sleep um, a little more comfortably on the road. Um, we retrofitted it so that we put bunks in the back. It was a purple bus that uh, we actually bought off a nudist in Vancouver which is probably why we got such a good deal. <laughs> and we, um, we said, we're going to go on the road for two months this summer. We got a crew from LA to follow us to film. We had gotten on, we had gotten bigger sponsors on board. So we got Levi's, uh, we got Palm pilot at the time to sponsor this second tour. And so we really were able to put the resources into making this film. And, uh, we went after bigger list items and we crossed off things like sing the national anthem to a packed stadium at an NBA game, even though we really can't sing at all. <laughs> we, um, we were able to help someone totally who is sick with cancer, living in a, a pretty bare apartment. We were able to help uh, furnish their apartment with the, with the help of a local uh, church who donated um, their, their supplies or is it the, the furniture. And we were able to continue to sort of impress and just sort of actually just shock ourselves with what was possible. And so, yeah, so we took two months and we had all these amazing experiences and we got back to um, Victoria, BC. And we were still uh, realizing that we were a long way from finishing our film once we learned how expensive post-production was. And we had spent all of our money on filming and this crew that followed us and, and we realized, oh, crap, there's also nowhere for us to sell this film at this point. Maybe this is 2007. There's no Hulu or Netflix or Amazon or no really distribution for these films. Uh, so we thought uh, we came to the realization that we sort of messed up perhaps because we had spent mm-hmm. all this money on this, um, on this crew and the filming this documentary. We didn't have enough to finish it. Uh, side, side note, we'd actually been offered a show in Canada at, the po- at this point by MTV Canada, which we had turned down because they wanted to own it and own the whole brand. And again, being young, young, dumb and broke, we were like, you know what? No, like we want to do this on our own. Um, right. We continued to sort of have this bullheadedness and belief in our dream 
and we wanted to control it because we were we were it was really important that this stayed true to us and also continued to inspire our friends. And we thought the only way this could really inspire our friends is if we were the ones uh, in control. And so we turned down the show, which everyone thought we were complete idiots. And now we came back from this second tour. We'd spent all this money that we had raised, and we didn't we couldn't finish the documentary. We had turned down a TV show. We didn't know what the next step was. And then I hit another, and we all did, hit another low. I started working in a bar in Vancouver. Um, couldn't hold down a job. Got depressed again. Uh, not to the, to the same extent that I had before because I would, had learned some things that I needed to just like, you know, some tools in my toolkit to keep me healthy. And I saw signs of this dip coming. But I really, you know, hit a big low. And so um, at this point, we thought we had messed up. We had turned down a show. We'd, we'd lost that opportunity. And uh, this was kind of fizzling out. And what happened next was... I was uh, in the Baja with my family. We drove down to, to, to Mexico. And while I was down there with my family over Christmas, I met someone and she was maybe 10 years older than me. She was the a daughter of friends of my parents that they had, they had met some friends down there. And I showed her this video that we had made of the buried life. And it was a short two, three minute video. And she said, wow, this is really good. You know, if you guys were talking with, Canadian networks about this. Why don't you come down to the States and talk with, um, you should think about doing this in the US. And I thought, sure. Yeah. I mean, of course. And after we got back from Mexico, she had a buddy pass, which is like a free flight from a flight attendant. And she generously gifted me this buddy pass. And I flew down to LA and she introduced me to a couple of people down in LA. You know, she had some friends that were working at either like a production company or a manager here and there. And long story longer, people were interested in this idea. And I started doing trips down to LA. And over a year and a half, learned the entertainment industry. We got a production company to partner with. We started pitching networks. And finally, number 53, which is make a TV show, finally you know, came off the list when we signed a deal with MTV to make a TV show. But we were signing as executive producers. So we did a deal with MTV where we maintained control. We hired our friends who we'd been filming with for the last two years as our film crew. We chose the list items. We were executive producers, as I said, which meant that we were able to call the shots on the creative direction of the show. And now all of a sudden we're driving our purple nudist bus down to LA <laughs> to make a TV show with not a day's experience of production. Um, and, but this was the next chapter. And this was really the, in the beginning of the megaphone that, that sort of was going to spread this, this message. And how long did it take from the first day of going out in that bus to finally getting to number 53? It took three years. Three years. Yeah, three to four years. You know, from that 2006 initial tour, the summer of 2006, which, you know, we started planning that in February of 2006 at the beginning of 2006 and then the show premiered in 2010 so four years until it premiered mm -hmm. uh, three years until we got the deal and uh, i think it's a good question that you ask because it's a lot of times when we see people doing big things we think oh like i could never do that how did they do that you know 
all of a sudden they're just this, they have a million followers or they have their own show or they have a huge podcast and I, I just couldn't do that. Well, the reality is, is that you haven't seen their journey to get there. And it just takes work. It's just brick by brick. They built that the same way you would build it, which is just starting from zero and just creating momentum as you go. And, and that momentum is fueled by hard work. And so, you know, if you think about, like, I just told you that story, um, that was a very abbreviated version of the story. You know, you can, you can imagine the ups and downs throughout that three years. Um, and it just took this unwavering um, belief in our, in our dream. And it really was the core dream was make a TV show. You know, this was, this was something that we always came back to. We thought, how incredible would it be if we made a show for our friends? And, and what if we did it on MTV in the U.S., right? I mean, four kids living on an island in Canada, this was, at the time, this was the mecca, MTV, in, 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 this, in the U.S. Uh, this was sort of the, the dream. And we just, were, we just didn't give up. Not for a second did we not believe that it would happen, um, even when it was so unrealistic. And it, just, it was just one step at a time. And I think when you're thinking about your audacious goals, it's easy to get overwhelmed by the the end goal and get frozen, you know, and be stuck in this paralysis of like planning or how am I gonna how am I gonna actually do that? That feels so impossible. It's like climbing Everest, and all you have to do is you just have to t- determine what that first step is, and you just need to do that. And once you've done that first step, you can then determine what the second step is, and then you can do that. And I'm sure that's what you've experienced with your podcast. And I imagine that you, you know, you didn't just set out saying, you know, I'm just going to create this huge podcast and I'm just going to be there. Right. Right. When I have no experience in radio or editing or podcasting or production, Mm -hmm. none of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of kind of step-by-step you had mentioned, you know, you kind of had to dip into inside yourself and kind of create, you know, like a healthy toolkit of sorts for yourself um, more than once throughout your journey and your process of growth. Um, what are some of those that you have, not only for achieving goals, but for also just, you know, really being the best version of yourself that you can be? Mm-hmm. So first, let's talk about, there. should we talk about achieving, the steps to achieving goals first, and then talk about this kind of, these steps to keep yourself um, mentally fit or optimize your well-being? You know, I kind of, let's call it a mental health toolkit, things sure. that you can do to um, pick yourself up when you feel down. Should we, do you want to start with the toolkit or do you want to start with the, uh, the steps to achieve your goals? Um, we can start with the steps and then go to the tool to the toolkit. Okay, cool. So the the steps, if you're thinking about like you know off the heels of this discussion about audacious goals and feeling overwhelmed and paralyzed and small steps that you can take to achieve your goals. So let's talk about those small steps. What can you do? Well, the first thing you can do, even before you begin, is to write them down write down your goals just to take the time to think about what's important to you. 
and memorialize them on a piece of paper. And what that does is that and then acts as your reminder that your goals exist and it makes them real. So when you write down your goals, you take an idea and you make it real. So you take a thought that doesn't exist and then you, you, you make it tangible by writing it on a piece of paper. And what that does, as I said, is it reminds you that, that, that you have these goals, but it also keeps you accountable because writing down your goals creates a small amount of accountability. Uh, because as I said, it makes it real. So that would be your first step is write your list. Write all the things you've ever wanted to do. If you could do anything, what, what could you do? What would you do? If you had $10 million in your bank, what would you do? And, uh, and now they exist. The second thing, and again, this is sort of a step that you can take that's fairly simple, um, that doesn't cost anything, is then you can share your goals. And why do we share our goals? We share our goals because, again, it creates accountability. Because when you share your goal with someone, you then feel accountable to them because you just told them what you wanted to do. And you feel like, okay, now that I've, I've spoken this to this person, um, I better do it or I better at least try. Or if you share it with your community, they're going to hold you accountable a little bit. That's why we post our resolutions, uh, which isn't everything that we need to drive us forward, but it does create a bit of accountability. And just to give you some context, the reason why I keep talking about accountability is that there is no, the, the problem that we have with these personal goals is that there are no deadlines. And we have deadlines for a lot of different goal sets in our lives. So that means that our personal goals take the back seat. They take the back burner, you know, because there's no deadlines. We say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next year. And most people actually get to the end of their life and they realize that they're out of time. They've pushed their goals their entire life. And their biggest regret is not doing the things that they did. They regret doing the things they not doing the things um, that they wanted to do, if that makes sense. So just to clarify, people at the end of their life, they don't regret the things they did. They regret the things they didn't do, which is why this is all so important. So you're now sharing your goals. And when you share your goals, then you actually are giving other people the opportunity to help you with your goal. Uh, and help will show up in the most unexpected places. And you can also share your goals uh, strategically. You know, you can, if you want to write a book, you can share your goals with people that have written books before, authors, or people that know authors. You know, say, hey, I'm trying to write a book. I don't know the first step of a book proposal. Would you mind, you know, can I borrow 15 minutes of your time on a phone call? Just to ask you a few questions. Or do you have an outline of a proposal I could look at? You know, so you want to share your goals with intention. Uh, and and look for help. And uh, you know the third step, as we talked about before, is just persistence. You know this idea that it, it doesn't happen overnight; it's brick by brick, and that just takes a relentlessness. You have to be relent relentless when you're in pursuit of these goals, and uh, you want to be as well in your relentlessness. You want to be creative because as you start to hit roadblocks. The best way to get around those roadblocks is to think outside the box and think creatively. Because what that does is, if let's just say as an example, you're trying to ask someone for help and you can't get their attention and you keep sending the same email and it doesn't work, you're not getting a response. Well, you're going to have to step back and think about a different creative solution to this challenge that you're facing. How can you get this person's attention in a way that's different? Um, Perhaps you can act if, you can be of service to them, right? Instead of asking them for help, perhaps you could say, hey, listen, I noticed that you're doing this. 
um, I might be able to help you with this. It, 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 let me know if, if I can help you, you know, um, or perhaps you need to go through a friend or a family member that might know them and, you know, take a different approach. So creative uh, persistence, I think is a good term. And the, the last step is you want to give. And by give, uh, what, what I mean is you actually, you want to just help other people that is, it, it is not related to your goal. Because when you're out in the world helping other people, people are more inclined to help you. And I think the, one of the things that fueled us throughout this whole process is really just the fact that we were helping other people achieve their dreams. And that created this environment and this, this, this aura of goodwill where people not only wanted to help us cross things off our list, but they also wanted to help us help other people. And the only way that we accomplished our dreams and helped other people is through the, the help of other people. So in short, write down your goals uh, to create the accountability. Share your goals so that other people can help you and you're not doing it on your own. Be persistent, and especially creative persistence. And help other people. Awesome. I love that. And then in terms of um, mind, body, and spirit and mindset and self-awareness, how much of that comes into play? Uh, I think it's, it's a, you know, there's a huge, there's a huge piece there. Um, especially if you are the type of person that is prone to just struggle, <laughs> you know, I think some of us, I don't think some of us, some of us just struggle with our emotional well-being more than others. And that's actually okay in my mind. I think that those that struggle, um, there's, what happens is you build this empathy for other people because you've been through it. You've hit, those, you've hit those lows that you can relate to other people that have also been through something like that. So there are real positives that come out of these struggles, you know. Um, and I think that's important to remember, especially when you're going through it and it just feels like, why is this happening to me? Uh, just know that there is a, if there is a positive that will, that will come out of this. You know, at the very least, you, you're learning something about yourself through this process. You'll be able to apply moving forward as, as you come out of it. And it will help teach you and, and help you grow. So um, in the spirit of that, there's, there's sort of like different things that I do when I hit that low, that really sort of helped me, have helped me in the past, and I kind of implement. And uh, they may help others. I, they, I think that these are all just good to sort of try because, again, they don't really cost anything. And uh, they, a lot of them have been proven to increase your well being. Um, so, one is the power of sleep and the importance of sleep. And I think that. I used to think that sleep was really just a pillar of wellness. And now I understand that it's this bedrock of which all pillars rest. And there's a great book called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, which is a game-changing book. And if you don't have time to read the book, you can just look up one of his uh, guest podcast appearances that he's made. One was on Joe Rogan. It's two hours. It'll change your, your life, I think. Because what he talks about is he's been studying sleep for 20 years. And effectively, he says... Uh, the, the less you sleep, the shorter your life. That's the synopsis of it. And he links all of these diseases to lack, to, to, to less sleep, cancer, Alzheimer's, as well as things that we're probably aware of, like lower, um, uh, you know, effectively like your cognition, um, your effectiveness at work, um, 
there's, there's this myriad of consequences that come from lack of sleep. And so he is saying that you must get eight hours of sleep. And I know that there's people out there that probably think like, well, I actually don't need eight hours of sleep. I used to be one of those people where it's like seven hours of sleep. I am good to go. Six hours, even seven and a half. Well, they did a study and looked at the percentage of the population that can go less than eight hours of sleep and not see any detrimental side effects to their health, rounded to a full number is zero. So less than 0.25% of the population. So sleep is just such an important piece of your well-being. So get your eight hours of sleep. Um, try, if you are not already trying any type of mindfulness, mindfulness, uh, really, and meditation helps a lot with for me. So I use TM, Transcendental Meditation, 20 minutes, and especially helps when I can't sleep, right? It slows my mind down, allows me to fall asleep. So meditation or mindfulness, you know, you can learn how to meditate for free on apps like Headspace or Calm. Breath is also a great uh, way to practice mindfulness, deep breaths into your lower belly. Um, Exercise and diet, right? Exercise releases serotonin and dopamine. That makes you happy. Right? That, that's a great way to lift yourself out of a funk. Um, getting out in nature is another great way. You know, up to, if you uh, are in nature for over 20 minutes, it increases your well-being, lowers your stress, lowers your anxiety. So if you can, you know, now it's tough, but if you can, uh, get out in nature. And gratitude is also a great practice just because it, you can feel the change in your body when you think of something that you're grateful for. So if you want to change your, your life in a small way, say thank you for something before you go to bed and say thank you for something in your life when you wake up. And typically what we do is we focus on the things that we are worrying about that are stressing us out that takes up uh, 90% of, uh, right, of our, of our um, mental energy. But in, the, in reality, it's kind of flipped. 90% of our life is usually going pretty well and 10% is not going well. And, we've, and we just focus on that 10% the most. So focus on things that you're grateful for, that, you, that you're overlooking. Maybe it's that you can walk or you're able-bodied, that maybe your family is healthy. Uh, what are small things in your life that are, 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 are really, um, you know, you might, be, you might be overlooking that you're really grateful for? So those are a few things. Uh, meditation, sleep, exercise and diet, get out in nature, practice gratitude. Uh, simple things that can give you a boost. Amazing. Those are all, I'm like taking notes as you're, as you're chatting down because it's Mm -hmm. great. Um, And even for those that have heard those things, I mean, it's just great to, you know, yeah, we may hear these things, but if we're not actually applying them to our lives and what help are they really doing for us? So thank you for walking us through that. And um, at the end, and not that it's even the end, but where it last stood, how many items did you have on the list? So we're at 91 of 100 list items. And, you know, that's, that's from the original list. And we've all added things to the list, or our, I guess I should say our own list over time. And I think that when you think about your list, I think you, it's important to, to think about it as a live organism. It's just really a true reflection of your desires and your who you are. So as time goes on, you check on your list. You go to your, if you can write it in a journal 
or even if it's just on a piece of paper, you go back, you look at it, and you add things that you want to uh, now achieve. You you cross things off that maybe you don't want to achieve anymore. They're not a reflection of, of what your true goals are or your true aspirations are. And so it kind of evolves. So that's what ha- that's what's happened with 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 our list, especially you know when I think about my list over the years. But we if we think about that that first original one hundred, it is. Uh, 91 of, of 100 dreams have been accomplished. Amazing. And then out of those, which was the most shocking to achieve, the most challenging to achieve, and the most rewarding? Uh, that's a good question. So the most, uh, the most shocking <laughs> probably was uh, we tried to streak and get away with it, <laughs> uh, which was actually we didn't succeed uh, because we ended up all <laughs> getting arrested. <laughs> but what we tried to do was, and we weren't actually fully naked. We sort of had these like dancers thongs on, but we tried to streak at a uh, a soccer game, an MLS soccer game in Kansas City, and we had this full plan of. One person streaking, two people dressed up like security. They were going to be the first person to capture them as they were streaking across the field. And then I pretended to work for the team and I was going to take them from security through the player's tunnel and get them off scot-free. Well, the what reality happened was we all, it, it was a big cluster. So we all ended up spending, uh, getting into thrown into the paddy wagon and spending the night uh, in jail. And so that was kind of the most shocking <laughs> The, the most rewarding was probably when we uh, might have been the first person that we ever helped. And it was a guy named Brent uh, who we met um, in a place called Kelowna, BC, which was sort of our second stop on our first tour. And so we learned about Brent because he sent us an email and he said that before I die, I want to bring pizzas to the homeless shelter in our, in our small town. And, um, we learned that the reason why he wanted to do this was because he had lived in that homeless shelter for a long time. And he said that when people brought in food, it felt like the best day. And so when we met him, we learned that like he'd got himself out of that homeless shelter by starting his own landscaping business. And the landscaping business relied on his truck and his old truck had broken down. And so his, his whole business was on the rocks. But when we had asked him, you know, is there anything we can do to help you in this situation? He would really divert back to his dream of helping bring food to the homeless shelter. And so the four of us got together and we thought, okay, we got to figure out a way to get this guy a truck. And we didn't have much money. So we had to probably have about $480 between the four of us. And we just walked on to a used car lot. We talked with the owner and we told him Brent's story and he agreed to give us a truck that was, uh, on the lot for $2,100 for $480. And he actually, out of his own pocket, ended up paying for the insurance. And so we drove the car up to Brent and just kind of like tossed him the keys and said, hey, this is yours. And he immediately just bear hugged me and started to cry. And he, I, I don't think anyone had ever really gone out of their way to do something kind for him before in his life. And so that was the first time that we had ever done anything like this. That was the first time we had ever helped someone else. Um, and it 
for the first time since we started the project, right, we realized that this was actually much bigger than us. And um, we, we realized it's kind of, there's also, not only is there a ripple effect when you, when you do what you love, there's also a ripple effect when you help someone. Because we saw what it meant to his girlfriend. And we saw what it meant to the people around him. And so this idea of helping someone else is not just helping them, you help the people around them. And that creates this ripple. And then we stayed in touch with Brent. And over the years, we saw him progress. And, you know, he kept coming back to this moment when we had given him the truck and the meaning of that and how that it sort of changed things for him moving forward. So it created this ripple in his life. And all, you know, you think about the impact that that had on other people in, in his life after that. So this, this ripple effect that happens when you help someone is really, really big. And it's like what I was saying about this, the, the impact of a smile or just a random act of kindness. You know, it's not just these big gifts that create that ripple. Um, it, it, any type of nice gesture, act of kindness uh, creates, creates that ripple. So, so that, that was the most, the most meaningful. And the most impactful, was that the third one? Yeah, it was the most, um, the most rewarding. So, yeah. Yes. So, and then the most rewarding, I think in in, in an odd way was probably playing basketball with President Obama because it was such an outrageous goal of ours that we wrote down with no intention of ever achieving it. Um, and three years later, President Obama surprised us on the White House basketball courts as we were shooting around. And it was just this completely surreal moment. And from that point on, we kind of had no choice but to believe that anything is possible. Mm. It, it, it really sort of changed the way we, um, I could definitely, you know, speak for myself, the way I viewed what was possible in my life. And shifted my DNA and moving forward when challenges, you know, I was faced with different challenges. I didn't ask, can I do it? I asked, do I want to do it? Because I knew that I could do it because I had this proof in my life that I had done these things like playing basketball with President Obama or made a TV show that I originally, I can remember when I thought they were impossible, but I proved myself wrong. So I had seen that this stuff was possible. And so it really changed my core belief system. And that really is my goal, is to change that belief system in as many people as possible. Because I'm no different than anyone else. I just was young, dumb, and broke enough to go after it and try it and accidentally prove to myself that it was possible. And everyone has that capacity through their own actions. So just by you taking this path and starting to take steps towards that buried dream of yours, you're going you're gonna to teach yourself so much. You're going to learn so many valuable lessons. Uh, even if you don't achieve it, you're going to grow. And I guarantee you, just by going after it and putting yourself in that vulnerable position, something good will come of it. Because every time you do that and you put yourself in a vulnerable position and you expose part of yourself and you really, 
you know, take that step into the unknown, uh, there are there are many positives that are that in the beginning you're not sure of what they will be, and if you don't even if you don't achieve that full that 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 goal at the end, uh, what what comes of it is really really valuable. It's amazing, and you left you guys left it at ninety one, so I guess there's still what still, still nine oh yes nine still eight. nine, and we have um, also. I would say the two that we're really trying to cross off number 100 is go to space and number I think it's 93 is make a documentary. So if you remember the original um, goal with buried life is to make a documentary film we thought that we would be finished in two weeks and you know, we're 14 years later, <laughs> we still have all the footage and, we want to finish it in some way, shape, or form with that number 100, go to space. Mm-hmm. And so we've been filming the journey since then. And so that would be something that, you know, I, I, we, we, we all would love to finish the production of that and, and get that out into the world and create, you know, uh, an, another ripple. Amazing. And you guys, like... Did the the list? Did you ever change them, or were they kind of set in stone? Uh, they were. On? They were all. Um, it's a good question. We we actually shifted some things off the list. I would say if we looked at the original list, we probably crossed off um, more than a hundred because sometimes we crossed something off and we wanted to make room for something else, so we just took it off the list and added something that we haven't crossed off. But for the most part, you know, it, it's it's main relatively consistent. That's awesome. Space. Space. Yeah. No big deal. It's just space. (laughs) So, um, what does influence mean to you? Influence to me is being brave enough to be yourself, to be your true self, to have the courage to let that out. You know, I think that if you think about the buried life and this idea of uncovering your buried dreams and the fact that 76% of people get to the end of their life and their number one regret in their entire life is living a life for someone else, not themselves, is just a mind-boggling fact that that over 75% of people will lay on their deathbed and their single biggest regret in their entire life is not living their ideal self. Mm. So I think that influence is living your ideal self. Because just by doing that, you're going to inspire other people in a genuine and true way. So just by allowing that to come out, you're going to have your true influence. And most people live a life for someone else. Most people. Um, they're living their life based on someone else's goals, whether it's someone they know that's saying, Hey, you know, like it's a parent or a friend hey, you really should do this or just the collective society's goals or what they think they should do based on what's normal. And no one should end up at their deathbed with that regret. And I think that it's so powerful when you see people just living their true self, you know, channeling that 
that dream or that version of, of them that is only them. Because I believe that we all have true gifts and that when we are able to let those out, that they have the, this, this real impact. And I don't think that it has to be your job. You know, I, I don't think that you need to make a living off of it. If you do, I think that's awesome. But I don't think that you have to be totally tied to this idea that you need to quit your job and do your passion. I just think you need to do your passion. And I think you need to protect time to do your passion and carve out and be vigilant to with that, those, that, 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 that time where you can go after your bucket list and do these things that are important to you. Um, because if you're not vigilant, then it gets swept, you get swept up by the day-to-day and you forget about them and they get buried. Mm. So, you know, let that true version of yourself out and work that muscle. And that is, I believe, how you create true influence. Amazing. Well, everyone, if you liked today's episode, I know I did. Um, ben and I would love to see what your bucket list items may be. And hopefully hearing his journey of, you know, without the fear of failure, without the fear of time or money or resources, just really with that reckless abandonment, share those with us. If you want to screenshot the story, hashtag the influencer podcast, tag myself at Joel Solomon. You can also tag Ben at Ben, B-E-N-N-E-M-T-I-N. And let us know if you're going to be adding a bucket list item, starting one, whatever that may be for you, because we would love to see those. And we hope that this conversation today gave you not only some inspiration, but some, some courage to actually take the action to do it. So thank you, Ben, for sharing all of this and um, for really being just a common and natural voice of reason. And, you know, and you've said it a few times, you know, you weren't someone who came from fame or reality programming or money or resources. It was just a very natural belief and desire to want to do something from just this human being, you know, just like everybody else is. So thank you for that and sharing that. And where can we go, not only with social media, because I just shared your Instagram, but your website, where can we go to learn more about you and, um, and see what you have coming up next? So, yeah, thank you for saying that first, first and foremost. Um, and you can go to my website, which is just my name, bennempton.com. And I spend a lot of time speaking. So I speak um, around the country and around the world, not right now with COVID. So I'm doing more virtual speaking engagements and meetings and that type of thing. So I would say that if you'd like to learn more, you can go to my website, you can check out the book that we have and also stay up to speed on um, my my uh, live and virtual engagements through my Instagram and Twitter. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Julie, for having me. Amazing. Thank you for being here. I so appreciate it. Awesome.
All right, that is it for today. Now, as you know, some of our best conversations actually happen after the show. So I want you to find me on Instagram, head on over to our Facebook group at The Influencer Podcast, and let me know your thoughts about today's show. All right, I will see you again, same time, same place next week.